Winterhawk Podcasting presents Lower 48. Episode 4, Mannequin. Hey, Cammy. Uh, sorry we we haven't chatted in a little bit. I'm uh, pretty sick. Yeah, if you can hear it in so, his voice. We, uh, we made a pit stop in Charlotte, and uh, we're, we're in... It wasn't really a pit stop. We've been here for like two days. Yeah, I needed to rest up, so we just got a little motel. I've just been kind of sleeping for the past couple of yeah, we've been working on uh, our next steps in the Tibbs journey. Yeah, we're still on our way down further south. We're going into South Carolina. Which, by the way, I just want to bring up that uh, we did get your email, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's great the way you want to pivot the show. So uh, we're going to still work on, like, gathering stories for you. Just, I, like, I get it. You need content, and yeah. we're taking a minute to find all the Tibbs stuff. Yeah. But uh, we're going to keep following the Tibbs journal but we'll make sure that we keep talking to people and you know we find those stories that you've been liking yeah hopefully that makes your overlords really happy yeah with that in mind we actually we did have a weird experience the other night that we thought you would like for this yeah Um, so we were at the laundromat it was a 24-hour laundromat it was like 2 a.m and actually that might have been the day that you got sick actually uh so we were we were doing some laundry and this guy came in yeah he had like a ratty t-shirt on yeah and like and, mismatched shoes yeah and it was weird we were the only people in there because it was so early in the morning and uh this guy just came in and he just kind of sat in the corner staring at us and i was perfectly content to mind my business and read my book and just sit there but chatty zach over here had listen, to strike up a conversation. Listen, I was bored, and the guy looked like he needed... I mean, he was looking at us with intent, so <laughs> That's I... That's not a good thing. Well, I mean, I just wanted to find out what that intent was. Okay. So, so I went over and talked to him, and without prompting, he told us this really weird story. This story was told to us by the man in the laundromat. On a long summer day, not all that long ago, a tailor named Jamie decided to go to a local flea market. This was his first time visiting the bazaar, though he had passed by it many times before. It was held out of an old grocery store. If memory serves, the store used to be called Grover's Market, though the only remaining evidence of the past were the large red letters that spelled Market on the outside of the building. As Jamie entered through the sliding glass doors, he was greeted by the unique aroma of old cloth and cedarwood. He drew in a deep breath. He always enjoyed the smell of antiquity. It reminded him of the nights he spent taking care of his grandma. Her house was always filled with all kinds of amazing trinkets from her travels. His favorite was a golden sewing needle that she kept on a gold chain. She wore it around her neck until the day she died. After the funeral, Jamie received a letter with the needle enclosed and a message from grandma saying that she knew that he could do anything he put his mind to. That was the reason Jamie had decided to get back into tailoring, a dream that he had given up a few years prior in exchange for a boring but reliable office job. 
he wanted to prove that his grandma was right. He quit his job the next day and used his savings to start a business. At the bazaar, he walked between all the various tables of the marketplace. There were all kinds of trinkets adorning each table, fake gold plates, old blankets, and the most hideous handmade poncho Jamie had ever seen. While perusing the various wares, he became interested in a peculiar purple rug. He thought that it would make a fine addition to his shop. He looked up at a man with a baseball cap pulled past his eyes standing behind the table. He assumed that this must be the owner. Hey, he said, how much for this rug? But there was no answer. Confused, Jamie waved his arms at the man. Excuse me. No reaction. What was this guy's deal, he thought. Stepping past the table, Jamie finally got close enough to see what the problem was. When he pulled the cap up, he realized that this wasn't a man at all, but a plastic mannequin. He chuckled to himself. He was getting all worked up over nothing. As Jamie looked at the mannequin, he began to notice some similarities between the object and himself. The figure had blue eyes and brown hair too, and was about its same size. This was the moment that he had an idea. He could use this mannequin to model suits in his store window. The added benefit being that it gave him an excuse to make himself a few more nice suits. Completely convinced of his plan, Jamie bought the mannequin and the rug and tossed both into the bed of his truck. He drove the six or so miles back to his shop, the Golden Needle, that was so named after the inspiration behind its opening. It was a small, two-story building that stood alone on the corner between an old neighborhood and the beginning of new urban sprawl. When Jamie first bought the building, it was a dilapidated restaurant with an apartment upstairs. At the time, he thought that it would make the perfect spot for a shop, close enough to the neighborhood for folks to walk to, and close enough to the new section of town to offer a bit of legitimacy to his new business. It became apparent, after he signed the mortgage papers, that a business was more than just the location. The tailor spent the better part of two years working to build a clientele. However, after a rough start, he finally found his niche, making nice suits for the church-going folks. While not very religious himself, Jamie couldn't help but take advantage of the opportunity that going to church had to display his work. He felt bad about turning other people's beliefs into a peacock show, but it was what he had to do to pay the bills. Over time, the shop got a little nicer, and so did his apartment upstairs. His grandmother would have been proud. Pulling into the parking lot, Jamie noticed that there was something hanging on his front door. He walked up with the rug tucked under one arm and the mannequin's left leg in the other. Dangling from the doorknob was a garment bag, and attached was a note from one of the local deacons. It read, Emergency. Need suit for tomorrow. Hole in the jacket. Signed, Brother Glendale. This wasn't the first time Brother Glendale had a suit emergency. In fact, a few weeks back, he ripped a hole in the crotch of his pants playing horseshoes at the church picnic. He said that he needed the suit fixed immediately so he could look fly while helping attend to the ministering at the local old folks home. Jamie rolled his eyes and opened the garment bag to look at the damage. Upon investigation, he saw that the hole in the jacket was absolutely huge. It looked as though Brother Glendale wore the suit during the running of the bulls and was just a bit too slow. Jamie was frustrated. He had planned on spending the rest of his evening drinking wine, finishing his leftover takeout, and catching up on his trashy reality TV shows. Now there was a large gaping hole where his plans once were. On the other hand though, the suit's owner was a really good tipper, and it wasn't like streaming services were going anywhere, so he set out to rebuild the article to its former glory. The biggest obstacle was finding the matching cloth. Jamie hadn't carried that shade of yellow for some time, and after searching in the storeroom for a suitable replacement, 
he concluded that the only thing to do was run to the fabric store. It was 8.15 and the store closed at 9, so he quickly gathered his things and ran out to his car. The old fabric store was packed floor to ceiling with every type and texture of material you could imagine. The only problem was finding anything. Jamie dashed between shelves, keeping an eye on his watch. He only had about seven minutes before they closed, and he had a lot of ground to cover to find what he needed. As he rounded the corner of yet another aisle, he saw it. The beautiful sight of the rough yellow cloth that he was looking for. He dashed over and pulled a few yards of fabric out of the roll. It wasn't exactly the same as the suit, but seeing as though this was a suit emergency, it would have to do. When Jamie got home, it was already late, and the activities of the day began to weigh on him. He didn't want to work on a Saturday night. He wanted his reheated noodles and wine. He decided in order to save his evening, he would do something he hadn't done in a long time. Work in front of the TV. It would take longer to stitch the patch by hand, but he could catch up on his shows. Retrieving a needle and thread from downstairs, Jamie sat in his recliner and began stitching. He pushed the needle in, and out he pulled the needle, the thread creating neat dotted lines around where the patch attached to the suit. Towards the end of the first pass, Jamie realized that his spool of thread was about to end. He tied off his work, stuck the needle into the arm of the chair, and walked back downstairs to grab another spool. When he turned the corner, the shape of a man caused him to yelp. He quickly turned on the light and was relieved to see that the figure was just a mannequin backlit by the light of the store window. Jamie grabbed the new spool from a large sewing machine he had on a table and, with a chuckle, walked upstairs back to his residence. Settling back into his chair, Jamie pulled the needle from the arm and tried to thread the new string through it. As he leaned into it, the needle slipped out of his fingers and fell onto the floor, rolling into a small crack between the floorboards. The last thing he wanted to do at that moment was walk all the way down the stairs again. That was when Jamie had a thought. Reaching into his shirt, he produced his grandmother's golden needle. He had never used it for sewing, but he was feeling particularly lazy. He removed the thin gold chain and easily threaded it. Jamie moved to make his first stitch, but being unfamiliar with the weight and the sharpness of his new instrument, he poked himself with the tip of the needle. Ouch, he exclaimed, drawing a drop of blood from the tip of his finger. He pulled out a small bandage on the nightstand next to his chair and placed it on the new wound. Feeling satisfied that he wasn't going to bleed on the suit, he began again, being a little more careful this time. As he stitched, he realized that the needle was unlike any he had ever used before. It moved through the thick cloth like it was thin silk. He felt as though he could move faster with this needle than even his sewing machine. With each stitch, he felt the strange, otherworldly energy coursing through his veins. He ignored the sensation, but before he knew it, the suit was finished. The jacket looked almost brand new, and the cloth was nearly seamless, running from the old suit to the freshly added cloth. Satisfied with his work, Jamie took the jacket downstairs while holding the needle in his mouth a habit he picked up from watching his grandma. He slipped the freshly repaired jacket into the garment bag it came in and hung it on the outstretched arm of the mannequin. With a bit of cheekiness, Jamie said to the figure, here, hold this, poking the needle into the side of the mannequin's neck. The golden needle easily slid into the plastic of the model. Jamie sauntered off to bed. The next morning, Jamie was awakened by a frantic pounding at the door. It was Brother Glendale ready to pick up his garment. He told Jamie that the church was having a luncheon after services that day and that he was officiating some business there and needed his best suit. He then took the jacket out of the bag to inspect the work. In shock, Brother Glendale said, I have never seen a patchwork so well made. I could barely tell where the patch ended and the suit began. 
After paying for the repair, Glendale turned to Jamie and said, You know, there's going to be plenty of food at the luncheon. You should come. One o'clock at First Baptist. And then walked out the door. While the offer was generous, Jamie really didn't feel like getting ready for church. But it was a beautiful day. And it would be an opportunity to get some of that delicious cornbread that Mrs. Glendale always made for these types of occasions. Jamie, making up his mind, walked back up to his apartment to shower. As he got in and let the warm water cover his body, he noticed that the bandage on his finger was coming loose. He unwrapped his injured finger only to find that there wasn't any blood or even a hole where the needle had poked him. Instead, there was a very small, almost imperceptible bump. He didn't think anything of it and continued to get ready. Dressed in his favorite outfit, a purple suit with a baby blue inlay and silver buttons, Jamie made the walk over to First Baptist. The service had just let out, and the tables were already set up when he got there. The smell of fresh pulled pork and homemade bread filled the air. He was very excited to dig into the meal, but before he could make it to the line, he heard a cheerful voice ring through the crowd. Hello, young man. Do you mind helping me for a moment? It was Mrs. Glendale. She asked him for help cutting some lettuce. Not wanting to damage his relationship with his best customer, Jamie reluctantly agreed. Grabbing a large knife, Jamie began chopping the heads of lettuce hastily in an attempt to finish this annoying chore as quickly as possible. His stomach growled and he became distracted by the thought of food just long enough to slice his hand with the knife. With a loud yelp, he dropped the knife onto the table and gripped his hand tightly. Mrs. Glendale looked over and asked if he was okay. Immediately, Jamie noticed that there wasn't any blood coming from his wound and said, Yeah, I think I just scared myself a little. The thin line where the blade ran across Jamie's hand was pale. It must not have broken the skin, he thought to himself. Being excused by Mrs. Glendale, Jamie hopped in the line of churchgoers and made a plate of food that would make medieval kings jealous. Chicken and pork, collard greens and coleslaw, and of course, Mrs. Glendale's cornbread. Jamie sat down at a table and prepared to feast. But before he could get a taste, the voice of the pastor rang out through the speaker that was set up in front of the group. He led a prayer and a blessing on the food, to which Jamie put his fork down in respect, however annoying this formality was. After the prayer, the pastor invited Brother Glendale up to speak. Jamie wasn't paying attention as his hunger got the best of him. Besides, the announcements were for the congregation, not their guests. Fully satisfied by the food, Jamie decided that it was time for him to leave. However, Brother Glendale was still speaking, and Jamie didn't want any attention on him as he left. So he entertained himself by pushing around the remaining food on his plate with a fork. The very second Glendale finished talking, Jamie was up out of his chair and briskly deposited his plate in the garbage. He sped towards the street. He heard the voice of Brother Glendale call his name, but he pretended he didn't hear anything and walked across the street. In an effort to not acknowledge the deacon, Jamie didn't look before crossing the street. The timing of the car meeting Jamie was perfectly aligned, and the man's right foot was crushed under the wheel of the vehicle. He let out a scream and then passed out from the pain. Jamie woke up surrounded by the members of First Baptist, his head cradled by Brother Glendale's jacket. Bewildered by what just happened, Jamie attempted to get up. The group surrounding him backed off to give him space, and some reached out to make sure he wouldn't fall. His foot felt stiff and numb but he could put his weight on it. It didn't hurt, so he took a few steps. Mrs. Glendale exclaimed, we need to take you over to the hospital, but Jamie didn't want to go through that hassle. He said that he was fine, and he guessed that the car may have just run over the tip of his shoe. He probably got more hurt from the fall than the car. 
Assuring the Glendales and the rest of the church folks that he was okay, Jamie limped back home. Walking into his shop, Jamie sat down on a chair next to the door and took his shoe off to take a look at the damage. As he unlaced the shoes and looked at his foot, he was filled with horror to realize that his foot was not just stiff, it was hard. His toes looked as though they were fused together and he could no longer move at his ankle. His foot was entirely inanimate. Jamie screamed and was bewildered by what was happening. There was no way that this was possible, but as he placed his foot back on the ground, the reality of the situation descended on him. His foot was gone, and in its place was a rigid effigy of a foot. The spot where his ankle met his new foot was seamless, as if the skin had hardened. The plastic was the exact color of his skin, but had a distinct shine. Frightened and not knowing what to do next, Jamie walked as fast as he could towards the stairs. His new shoeless limb wasn't suited to walking on the hard tile floor, however, and as he put his full weight on the plastic, it slipped out from under him, causing him to topple over onto the new mannequin. Disoriented, Jamie tried to push himself off the floor. As he did so, he noticed that the right foot of the mannequin no longer looked right. It was matte, and the toes were separated. He reached out and touched the appendage, which was fleshy and warm. Jamie let out a scream and scrambled backwards, slamming his back into the table with the large sewing machine on it. The force of his body colliding with the table leg broke it and caused the fabric and large sewing machine to slide off the now leaning table. It fell right onto Jamie's left hand, crushing it. He felt every bone in his hand break, causing excruciating pain. But almost as suddenly as the pain began, it vanished as his hand had become hard plastic. But as he put his weight on it, the table toppled over completely and Jamie with it. His left eye collided with the sharp corner of the table. Everything on the left side of Jamie's face went numb and dark. Frantically pushing himself up, he spun around violently and for a split second, he caught a glimpse of himself in the mirror. He was a hideous amalgamation of plastic and man. His eye was lifeless and unmoving his hand and foot were inanimate. He watched as the bruises on his arm disappeared and in their place, hard, lifeless plastic. He looked towards the mannequin. Its hand had become squishy, twitching flesh. Jamie resolved that it would stop here. Using his remaining functional hand, he dragged a large sheet of thin cloth over the body of the figure, covering the fleshy spots that had appeared. He reached into a cabinet that was next to the table and produced a lighter. He reached down and lit the frayed edges of the cloth with the small flame. It lit up quickly and powerfully. Due to the numbness in his new foot and the adrenaline pumping through his remaining veins, Jamie didn't realize that his leg was tangled up in the thin cloth. As the flames spread, the fire crept up onto his pant leg. He leapt back, pulling the cloth off the mannequin and dooming him to the flames. He felt every inch of his body change as the heat caused immense pain and then numbness. Soon, the flames engulfed him, changing him, melting his new plastic body, until all that was left was a puddle of the former tailor. As he was telling us this, I, I was trying to ignore him, you know, just mind my business, read my book, but I, really got pulled in because he had kind of a sing-songy like voice with it was like a weird unbalanced cadence that was like really unsettling but really 
hypnotizing almost. Yeah. Like I couldn't not pay attention. Yeah. In it, a weird way. Yeah, it was very off kilter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I thought it was interesting that when he was done, he just stood bolt upright yeah. and without looking at either of us, he just turned and walked right out the door. Yeah. And when he turned, I don't know if you saw this, but I swear there was a gold sewing needle, like in his story, sticking out of his neck. Oh like my goodness. Dug deep into his neck. Oh man. Dude, I wonder what kind of drugs you have to be on to shove a sewing needle deep into your neck. I don't know. It has to be something that that would explain basically all of his behavior. Well, yeah, he was completely strung out and yeah. has a wild imagination apparently. It, it was like thinking about him, the only thing that like he was really reminding me of like you know when you play an old video game oh, and yeah, like yeah. the character's eye like everything looks great except for like the character's eyes kind of have like a yeah, they're dead not look. just not right. Yeah, like the uncanny valley. Oh, yeah. That's that's what I kept thinking when I saw like, when I was looking at him, I was thinking, like, Uncanny Valley. That was the vibe I was getting. Oh, yeah, for sure, you know, for sure. I don't know if you felt that. No, no. I, now that you say it, like, that's totally what I was feeling. Yeah, it was <laughs> quite the experience. Well, anyway, so. we are definitely not going to be going to any sort of uh, 24-hour laundromats yeah. uh, anytime <laughs> soon. We'll be going in the daylight. <laughs> yeah, daylight. That sounds yeah. pretty good. But, anyways, I, I hope this story kind of fits what you're looking for. Cammy, this yeah. is the best we got right now. Right. But, but we'll, we'll, I'll make sure to talk to more random strung out strangers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you later, Cammy. All right. Bye. Lower 48 is a production of Winterhawk Podcasting, written and presented by Zach Berry and Austin Meredith, with music by Tyra Orgill. To learn more about our other great podcasts, go to winterhawkpodcasting.com.